0: Well, we are now in our sixth week of our series, Jesus is Lord, where we've been looking at the biblical affirmation of Jesus is Lord, and the aim is to provide crystal clarity that leads to courageous conviction. In other words, we want you to have such a strong, well-grounded faith that when all the storms that we just sang sang about come, that our house will still be be built on a firm foundation of Christ Jesus and his word where we're not waved and tossed about by different philosophies and whims of our society and our culture so that we understand that Jesus is Lord and he has a special right and authority as God to govern every aspect of our life and I know that that's difficult as times because we don't like to give up control amen amen We want to be control freaks, let's be honest about that. We wanna control everything from our, our calendar, our clocks, right? I wish we would spring, stay sprung, and forget it, right? But the government's not listening to me at all. But you know what? Here we go on, right? The Lord is our authority of our life. And today we're going to dig a little bit further. But if you've not been able to join us for the last previous five messages, I would highly encourage you to go online, listen to those messages, because I believe they will be life-giving to you as a believer in your journey of this faith. But today we'll be looking at Jesus' proclamation that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of of the Sabbath. So turn with me to Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 20 28. Whether you have a Bible, hard copy, or on your phone, or also if you don't have either one of those options, it'll be up on the screen as well. This is Jesus that's gonna be speaking here and telling us the story. Mark will be speaking about the stories of their journey through this event of him being the Lord of the Sabbath. Starting in verse 23, it says this one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain, and the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, let's pause there for a second, because most of us in our modern understanding go, What is the big deal, right? They bent over, they picked up some grain, they picked it up in their hands, they rubbed it a little bit, they got the grain of the barley out, and they ate it, right? Lighten up, right? But as first century readers, we don't understand the complex nature around the subject of Sabbath. The Pharisees were the keeper of the faith for the Israelite people. They got a little uptight, to be admittedly, but we need to understand the background of why the Sabbath was so important and why they were so rigid and why they freaked out every time Jesus began to stretch their understanding of what Sabbath was to be about. So remember, let's do a quick review of what Sabbath really is. We need to remember that God entered into a covenant, solemn commitment with the Israelite people after they were delivered from slavery, from 400 years of slavery and captivity in Egypt. And on Mount Sinai, they got this word. Moses received this covenant called the Ten Commandments. He also wrote the Levitical system. You know, the Leviticus book that we read in our Bibles. We go, oh my God. Right? One pigeon, one turtle. What, what am I supposed to bring to the sacrifice, right? And so there's all these commandments, but the reason for these commandments was to set them apart as a unique, distinct people because they were carrying a precious seed of promise a promise of a coming Messiah. And they wanted, God wanted his people to stand out so much from the culture that they would go, what, right? They'd be going, who are these people? Why are they living so strangely? Now, the first three commandments, you know, no one objectifies to, right? They say, don't worship other gods, don't make graven images, and don't take God's name in vain. We still hold fast to those even in our own society, right? Or most of us do who are believers, right? Meanwhile, the final six commandments spoke to how an individual is supposed to relate to others in the society. Right? There should not be no murder, no stealing, uh, no lying, no testifying falsely, no adultery. Do not covet. You get the point. You take those first three, the final six, you get nine. There's one that's missing. That a lot of times that we have we could actually call the forgotten commandment, and it is to keep the Sabbath day holy. That was the fourth commandment, and in fact, this was the most distinct commandment of all other commandments, because even the societal of the world would say, hey, don't kill, right? Don't steal, don't covet, don't bear false witness, so forth and so on. What was unique, no one else was taking a full day off from work. So can you imagine the strange oddity of a people that just shut it down? One out of seven, that would be even strange for us today. So this is what we see in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, 11, to the importance, because Moses goes even further in depth to why the Sabbath is so important. He says in verse 9, You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But if the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God, on that day no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. You see this commandment, Moses is sinking down and saying, you got six days to kill it, right? And then one day to rest and to recognize that I am your God, your provider. What's ironic is even though not only was this one in seven days, also every seven years they were supposed to do absolutely nothing with their lands. We see this in Leviticus twenty-five two through five. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel: When you've entered the land, I'm giving you the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. Can you imagine what Americans would do? Can you imagine hey, guys, don't do anything every seventh year. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And trust 100% on the provision and the power of an almighty God who is the source of your provision. Because that would really set us up for the fact that God is our provider, not ourselves. So you take this Sabbath rest. For every six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It's the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. Wow. Wow. But unfortunately, the Israelites were practicing the everyday seventh day Sabbath, but they neglected the land Sabbath where they left their lands fallow, where they didn't lead them to, they kept working them. And in fact, they had done this generation after generation for a total of 490 years. That's 70 missed Sabbath years. And I don't find it to be a coincidence that that's the exact number of years that the Israelite people were put in captivity when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem. And if you don't have to take my word for it, You can see right here in 2 Chronicles 36, 21, where it says, the land finally enjoyed Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled. Woo! So, let's not be too harsh and critical on the Pharisees. Because what they were trying to get the Israelite people to understand is that God is our provider, and when he says to rest, we need to rest, because we have spent Four, we've spent 70 years in bondage and captivity because we refuse to trust that God is our provider. It's so when they saw Jesus doing these things, because they had written 39 other rules to go on top of keeping the Sabbath holy. I mean, the Pharisees went way too far to make sure they didn't sin. And one of those rules, the reason the Pharisees were upset was do not pick up grain and rub it in your hand. Because that might be work. And we do not want to be careful. We don't, want to, we don't want to even be subject to the fact of sinning against our God. And so, but they avoided the fact that the Old Testament says that it's okay as you sojourn through the land, you can pick up the crops and the weight that's fallen on the ground. That is lawful. They were even changing the law of God to meet the demand of not breaking the Sabbath. So they're freaking out when Jesus' disciples are doing this. Jesus knows this, he's trying to teach them something miraculous. That he's trying to teach us. And he answers in verse 25. He says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Now, this is kind of a rhetorical question. The Pharisees knew, like, this is freaked you out. The Pharisees knew the first five books of the Bible by memory. Let that sink in. Not five verses, they knew five full books of the Bible and all of the rabbinic teaching. So they knew this story. In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, this story, real quick and short, is David is on the run. King David is on the run from his son Absalom, who's decided to overthrow King David. Right, And so they're on the run. They've been on the run for a long time. They are parched. They're weary. They're dry. They're at the point of almost death. And they go into the tabernacle, to get food, to go into the temple, to get the food, and they eat the bread, which they shouldn't. But the law says if you are trying to spare a life, you can break Torah. You can break the law. right? And so even Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees right now, lighten up, they're having a snack. It's lawful. But then he really makes them mad when he says this in verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. That's really irking them because they had set themselves up as the law and the Lord of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, you have to understand that their anger, if they weren't upset by them picking up a little bit of grain of wheat and rubbing it between their fingers and eating, at this point, what Jesus is basically saying when he says the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath, what he's telling them is I am the Messiah. I am the one who has come to fulfill the law of Moses. I am not only the one who created the law of Moses, spoke it into existence, I am the one who is over it and governs it, and if I want to change it, then I can change it. Woo! You think they were mad before, now they're going, this guy is claiming to be God. This is there in an uproar. What they're trying to help them understand is this, is the Sabbath isn't a religious chore you have to do so God won't punish you anymore. It is a gift instructed for you to give yourself so you can be healthy, productive, And a representative to a broken world and accomplish everything I put you on this earth to do. But you need rest to be a good example of who I've called you to be. You need to rest because you need to show the world that your provision is not based on your own ability and strength and might and intellect. But it's based solely upon the provision of God. He's trying to tell them this is not a rigid, inflexible system with a lot of rigid restrictions and rules. This is a gift from a loving father so that you might know that God is with you, that God is for you, that God loves you. So that's a quick historical background of the Sabbath. But what on earth does this mean for us today? Because so what? What? Big deal, right? Sabbath, it was the Ten Commandments. That's just, that's no longer important for us, right? So how should a new covenant believer view and relate to the laws of the old covenant? The New Testament is clear that our eternal salvation, our forgiveness of sin, and our right standing with God are holy and completely due to the fact and rooted in the finished work on the cross, amen? We know that we have been saved by faith through grace, Amen. We know it's not by our own doing or our work, and sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments as, ah, it's just a bunch of rules we no longer have to follow. But we have to ask ourselves this one thing, as New Covenant believers, what do we do with these laws? Keeping the Mosaic Law no longer has anything to do with our salvation and standing with God, which is true, but it's another thing to claim that those laws no longer contain principles for living well for living the kind of life that pleases God. If we make that claim, then that is false. What we have to understand is God himself wants us to understand that the commandments still reflect his values, his character, and his wisdom for living. Do you believe that? Reflect his character, his value, his wisdom for leading. These are no longer laws to be kept for our salvation, but they are still very much wisdom principles to be heeded so that we might be the men and women of God he wants us to be. But here's something important. Let's think about it this way. If you don't believe that, ask us this. The sixth commandment says, you shall not murder, right? You should not kill. Do you think God has changed his opinion on that? Or how about adultery? Has he changed his opinion on that? Does he changes his opinion on do not steal? So I love this quote by Robert Morris. He says this, Why do New Testament Christians then still heartily endorse the commandments against murder, adultery, dishonoring parents while feeling utterly free from embracing the wisdom of the commandment about resting one day out of seven? Let that sink in. Why would any of us, because none of you would willfully say, hey, Rusty, go ahead and commit adultery. But too many times we willfully and willingly go to someone and say, hey, break your promise to God of rest. Why do we shirk this responsibility? I think a lot of times it's because we still have a problem with understanding that we're not our provider. That God is our provider. We need to understand that the Sabbath was not made was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift from God. The wisdom of the Sabbath commandment is still good for us today. So does that mean that we follow the Jewish practice of Friday night to Saturday night at sundown? No, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all that prophecy. But what he is saying is the principle of the Sabbath is still intact. We need to set aside a Lord's day to glorify him, to honor him, to worship him, to be with friends and families, to eat, to fellowship, to do good deeds for others. That is still something that is a principle that will benefit our very soul. We'll get more into depth in that. But it doesn't mean we shirk that responsibility. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. For me, this is not a Sabbath rest. (laughs) Sundays are not a Sabbath rest. For anybody who works at a church, I mean, you're working Sunday through Thursday, so am I breaking the law? No, because I take Friday sacramentally and sacredly every week to literally set aside time to worship my God, to read his word, to be with friends and family and in fellowship and all those kind of things that I'm here to serve this morning, right? I'm allowing God to fill me on my Sabbath. So it doesn't matter which day we pick. We need to set it aside for this principle. It's a matter of trust like tithing where we trust that God can do more with 90% of our money with his blessing on it than we can accomplish with 100% of it. He can do more in six days with his blessing on my life than I can do in seven without it. We have got to understand that God's provision and his power is still effective and wanting to be poured out on his people. Now, I know you're thinking, I can't do that. Too many people are counting on me. I'm too important. I've got too many demands. I have too many things. I, 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 I. But God is saying, do you trust me? We say, it's not that big a deal, Lord. It's not that big a deal. But ironically, it's amazing that the three things in the Old Testament that were punishable by death were murder, bestiality, and guess what? The Sabbath. The only three commandments that were punishable by death. Why? Because what God was trying to teach the people of Israel That a society that is willing to kill without restraint is destined for destruction. Just as a culture that will not obey my command and my provision and my power in their life and trust me that I will provide for them on the seventh day. That is a scary parallel, isn't it? God is wanting us to understand that this is not a law that we have to follow. It It is a promise that we get to receive now. It's about coming to a place of faith where we trust God as our provider, where we can live a lifestyle of rest. Now, we can fight it. I love G.K. Chesterton when he says this we cannot break the commandments, we can only break ourselves against them. I love that. You see, we can fight God's provision and His plan and His purpose and His providence, but the only person we hurt is ourselves. God is saying, Trust me. This is a gift, this is good. It is pleasing. I promise you will see fruit in your life that you can't even think of or imagine. In other words, when we violate God's principles for our lives, we only hurt ourselves. If you don't believe me, just look at the mental stress and health of most Americans today. We are so wired for 24-7 activity that we do not allow true comfort and peace and replenishing to take place in our lives. And there's a point where God knew that we're not made for seven days. We're made for six. And if we want to last longer, we need to trust in that providence, in that provision. In Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four one, it says this: God's promise of entering His rest still stands. It still stands. We so we ought to tremble with fear that some of us might fail to experience it. And then verse eleven says, "So do not. So do. Let us do not. So let us do our best to enter that rest." But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail. Now, ultimately, don't get me wrong. We know that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that rest. We see that in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, where it says this. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden in burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. You know, part of that burden that we're to bear is light is literally activating the principles of God in our life, saying it may seem like a burden, but it's actually something that truly is going to benefit you, benefit you far more than the restrictions. You see, God's commandments, God's laws, God's rules are loving God fences and stop signs around things that will destroy us. They're not things to slap us back into submission. They are things to say, don't go there because it's only going to destroy you. Jesus is the source of our rest. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We are no longer under the law, but we can still benefit from the principles of this rest that he wants to give us. This is an open invitation that we all can enter. It's a gift that God wants to give you today. But we first must understand this. We need to fuel ourselves to share properly with our family, with our coworkers, with friends, and other relationships. As a believer, do you realize that we carry the light of the world? One thing we are to do is set apart ourselves in such a way that the world says, why do you do that? You ever think about it? It's not so that it points to us, but so we can point to Him. It's like, why do you religiously take a day off? It's because I trust that my Lord is my provider. And he has promised me if I work and give him everything that I have for six days, that he will allow me to replenish and refuel and rest and be encouraged and filled up so that I can be a blessing to others in the midst of my six days of work. That's why I do it, to point to his glory, to his honor, to his namesake. I don't do it for any other reason but to experience the life that he wants to bring me. But how do we do this? How do we experience this rest? And what are the benefits of this rest? The first benefit is this, the Sabbath gives God the opportunity to provide for us supernaturally. Do you believe that? It gives us an opportunity for God to show us that he's God. That we can say, you know what God, I can do six days and you can do more with my six than I can do with seven. And I'm going to trust you in that. We've been given this model even in the wilderness when the Israelites were wondering as we read here, it says, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, they had the leftover food was wholesome and good, without maggots and odor. That comment refers to the fact that with they ate together too much and tried to store extra, it was rotten, Right? Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground today, so that I will be your provider. So we must ask, how much can God do in six days? Have you ever gone out at night outside of the city and looked up into the stars That happened in one word. And let there be light. And then he made a little parenthetical statement in Genesis. Oh, yeah, oh, by the way, I created all the stars. (laughs) What can God do in six days? What can God do? He can do everything that we need. Amen? Not everything we want. Be careful. Not everything that we think we desire, but God can provide everything that we need, not only in our personal lives, but even in our corporate lives. I love the story of Truett Cathy from Chick-fil-A. Hopefully, you guys love Chick-fil-A. Some good chicken. If not, we'll pray for your soul. But uh, <laughs> Truett Cathy made a decision in 1946 to not break the Sabbath with his companies. 1946, he made a decision that my workers deserve to have a day of rest to glorify and to honor God and to worship as they see fit. Now, what's ironic is there was a Business Insider website review recently in 2017 that says that this company generates more revenue per restaurant than any other fast food chain in the U.S., and it's only open six days a week. The average restaurant revenue for Chick-fil-A is $4.4 million per store. That was in 2017. By comparison, its most similar competitor, KFC, it's Kentucky Fried Chicken, generated $1.1 million per restaurant. That's exactly four times the revenue outlet per store in, less than one, day, in less, one day less than anybody else. There was a, there's been a supernatural outpouring because a man made a promise in 1946 to say, I will not violate this covenant of God. Woo! God can provide supernaturally, amen? God can do things that I can't do, that I can't comprehend, that I can't even understand. But am I willing to trust him and say, let me get, I want to make sure this is clear. I'm not just talking about financial blessing. I'm talking about mental health blessing. I'm talking about peace Blessing. I'm talking about a rest in your soul, in your spirit, where you wake up and are renewed on Monday morning, if your Sunday is your Sabbath, where you can say, I'm ready to just embrace the world and go because God is good and he has filled me to overflowing so that I can be a blessing from the overflow rather than from the dregs of my life because I didn't pause and reflect. And that leads us to the second blessing is this. The Sabbath gives us an opportunity to rest and be refreshed. But what kind of rest? Remember, it says that on six days God worked, but he rested and he was refreshed. Now, Isaiah 40, 28 says this, The creator of the ends of the earth neither faints nor is weary. God gave us an example of this rest from early creation. But why? He doesn't grow tired, does he? He doesn't grow weary. So if we look at the context of rest, we know that it simply means this, a sensation, they ceased work. God said, it's done right? And it is what? It's good, right? It's good. It's good. This is a blessing. This is something that I am going to now enjoy. But what about replenished? What about refreshed? We get that answer from the Hebrew word nefash, and it literally means to breathe in. You guys practice that with me today. Breathe in. Now breathe out. God never gets out of breath, does he? In the perfect sense of the context of creation, then we have to understand that God created through what? Speaking. He spoke. When you speak, you exhale, right? He excelled in a creative form. In six days, we are to exhale. Literally, on the seventh day, God took a breath. It's good. So if God himself, the creator of the universe, who never grows weary or tired or faint, needs to stop and go, it's good. Why do we think that we weren't created to do exactly the same? Church, the Sabbath is an opportunity for each of us to breathe in. Every seventh day until God It's good. Thank you for your provision, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, for your blessing. Thank you that I am where I am. Thank you that you give me the opportunity to be a witness for Christ exactly where I have been planted and rooted. Thank you for this good an overwhelming life, even in the midst of the storms and the trials and all of the chaos. I know that you are still working all things for my good. Do we believe that, church? God is good. So on Sabbath, he wants us to learn to rest, to worship. For many of you, your day can look totally different. This is the great thing when Jesus says the law of how you absolutely have to do it is up to you. I just need you to rest to worship me, to prioritize my word, to prioritize the gifts that I have given you in your family, in your friends, in your relationships. I need you to be a blessing to others as I am being a blessing to you. So on Sabbath, it can be a lot of things that we can do to glorify God. It's not always, this is what most people think Sabbath is, right? It's locking yourself in a closet and just going, Oh, Father, how glorified and holy you are today. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and your peace and your light. And then we got to worship a little bit, sing kumbaya, all that kind of stuff, and everything's going to be great, right? Sabbath is saying, God, you're good with all things, and I'm going to celebrate all the things that you've given me. Are you ready to enter that rest? Because the consequences, there are consequences to no rest. You see, the Old Testament, it says that not keeping the Sabbath day resulted in death. You see, today you're not gonna die physically, just like Adam and Eve didn't die physically when they ate from the tree in the center of the garden, right? But what happened to them, to their soul? Sin entered the world and they were destroyed. They were spiritually dead. You see, there is, not keeping the Sabbath is like a slow suicide, Spiritually. It is something that begins to tear and to rip apart in our soul and of our lives that we don't really absolutely trust God to be our provider, to be the source of our strength, to be the source of our love, to be the source of our peace, to be the source of our joy. So when we're looking at the consequences, you say, well, that won't happen to me. Well, I'm here to tell you it can, it did to me. Even working in the Lord's work for 28 straight years, I hit a point about seven years ago Where I was not taking faithfully time off and to rest and to replenish my soul. And I hit a point that I've never thought I ever would come to was complete anxiety breakdown, shutdown. I could not function even the simplest tasks. God had to tell me, Rusty, you're working all things out for your good. You're not allowing me to work things for your good. You gotta rest. So he shut me down. I got shut down for literally about six weeks. My church loved me enough to say, Rusty, we're gonna invest in you and get you counseling and and grace and mercy and peace and provision so you can just rest. From that day forward, I've decided that, you know what? I'm not going to kill myself by violating God's principle of rest. And so I pray that for you today, that you would receive this gift this gift of Sabbath rest because it can bring